under my wheels. That was the uh, great Alice Cooper. I got you under my wheels. Kind of a uh, a rocking song. Get your blood going. But and I wonder who's feeling under some wheels today, as the uh, Jeffrey Epstein documents begin to trickle out into the media. If anybody feels any sense of uh, panic, anxiety, urgency, or are they all just completely implicated together? And if one person goes down, will the rest go down too? Um, I don't necessarily <clears throat> think that this is going to be a huge deal in some ways. In other ways, I do think it's a bit of a big deal, but not in the ways that we think that it, like, oh, all of a sudden, all these dominoes are going to fall. But behind the scenes, there are things that will happen. 
And there's going to be information that emerges, some of which I'm going to play for you today, um, that's related to what I'm talking about. Somebody just texted me. Um, some of which I'm talking about. The, 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 the unexpected... Um, the unexpected turn of events that lead to other things. I'm going to play a video for you today. It's an investigative video. It's about 11 minutes long. And for some of you, it may be a little shocking. For others who are kind of attuned to the game, clearly it won't be. It'll be, in a lot of ways, uh, business as usual. But uh, let me go into the chat and see who's here and um, do a little meet and greet. So let's see. We got uh, DJ Mike again back on the case. There's TJ, DJ and TJ, Soul Traveler. Mary Lee's here. Hi, Mary Lee. C. Pines, check in. William Powell's good to see you, William, over here. Uh, let's see who else do we have. Here's my man, Ryan. Kelly B is back. D Tipper, what's going on, darling? Rocky. You love when I dust off the oldies. You know, that they actually performed that. They weren't lip syncing on the beat club. If they were lip syncing, you would have heard the saxophone. The reason I played that is because it was being played uh, at the gym this morning. I thought, let me play that. Hucklebug411, check it in. There's C.C. Jones, the fantastic one. Uh, Scrubbies, what's going on, Tamara? Good to see you again. Uh, Moira in NYC. She's here with us. So we have a, a, we have a moderate chat today. Moderate chat. So we're going to talk about Epstein obviously. And one of the things that I, I talked about um, over on the Astro Weather is Alan Dershowitz and how I think he's just up to his eyeballs in all of this. Right? That's, that's, my, that's my educated guess that if you wanted to go somewhere and what's fascinating about Dershowitz is that the way that this has unfolded is that he has presented himself as the guy who was after Epstein, right? And, and Dershowitz had been Epstein's lawyer for years. Like, he was his personal lawyer. So if something came up, Alan Dershowitz would handle it. But in the end, it was Alan Dershowitz who handled Epstein. Um, I was just looking over some of the... Because uh, there's... Here, let me, let me give you an example of how much is involved here. This is the right one now. Hold on. Stop this shit. I don't want that. Sorry. That is not what I wanted. 
That's what I want right there. All right, let me do this. And share screen. There we go. So this is um, just a sample of, you know, what's being released. <laughs> and actually getting to the site that allows you to view these documents has been very difficult. Like, uh, it's overloaded. Too many people are there. But let's just go through this. One attachment, exhibit DE1224, two pages. Uh, then you got the next attachment is 10 pages and six pages and 17 pages, 56 pages, 10 pages, nine pages, 12 pages, 10 pages, 28 pages, four pages. Exhibit DE1735 is 179 pages. Then the next exhibit is 45, then you get three, then you get 27, then you get three, then you get 25, then you get 40. You know, all this adds up to hundreds and hundreds of pages of exhibits from the trial. And we don't know what's on all of these pages. And at some point, as people go through this thing and sort through it, uh, They'll find things. And some of the stuff will be redacted. In fact, a lot of it will probably be redacted, which is unfortunate. But there's a lot of information here. And I guess buried in here. And I've seen versions of the client list or the, uh, the, the frequent flyer list. And I think it's one of those things that you have to be careful with right there's the black book list there was a list that came out aside from the black book list of people who were on the plane theoretically and then this comes through this trial with virginia roberts right and so this is a list that i think was part of subpoena for the trial, like they subpoenaed the flight records of the plane. So it's not just that, but it also includes uh, written and uh, sworn testimony by people like Virginia Roberts. I was just reading something about Clinton, Bill Clinton, who flew in from New York with Virginia Roberts. And they were on Ghislaine Maxwell's helicopter, which Jeffrey had purchased for her because she'd always wanted to learn how to fly a helicopter. So being the generous boyfriend that he was, uh, he bought it for her. She started to take helicopter lessons, right? Helicopter flying lessons. So then she's shuttling people back and forth from New York or, or Florida, depending upon where they were, and Epstein's Island. Of course, they probably have to stop over and get fuel. But she talked about how she flew in, she being Virginia Roberts, 
flew in from New York with with Bill Clinton and Secret Service uh, on the plane or on the helicopter. This was not the Lolita Express plane. This was this was Ghislaine's helicopter, and she talked about how there were these two other brunettes that were being flown in from New York as well. And that they all had dinner together. That would be her, Ghislaine, Jeffrey, uh, Clinton, and these two brunettes. And she talked about what a fun dinner it was. And she was not there for Bill Clinton. She was there for Jeffrey Epstein. Like She was there to have sex with Jeffrey Epstein. And she said that Bill Clinton was very charming and very funny, which is what we've come to know about Bill Clinton. And she did not have sex with him. So she was clear that that never occurred between the two of them. Um, she wasn't entirely clear as to whether or not he had sex with the two brunettes. But she did, in her sworn testimony, basically say that she gave Jeffrey Epstein an erotic massage, right? And that's just one excerpt that, that I came across and read. And there's going to be more, but this is all going to be based on mostly Virginia Roberts, Jeffrey's testimony and anybody else that they were able to subpoena and bring it, and it's going to take a while to sort through um, a lot of the a lot of the information. And even when it's sorted through, it won't be totally complete. So, yeah, it's starting to trickle out. It's starting to come out. It's starting to you know, be a part of the mainstream talking points. I don't necessarily think it's a distraction. Like, what's it going to distract from? The fact that Saudi Arabia is now a member of BRICS, well, that's a bit of a distraction. The fact that Israel has stepped up its war effort by uh, assassinating two commanders in southern Lebanon and desecrating the grave of General Soleimani while also killing and injuring hundreds of people, is it is it being a distraction for that? Possibly. But if you're paying attention, you're going to you're going to find out this shit. It's really interesting. Yesterday I was talking about like the next level war uh, or the next level of war in in the Middle East. And you can just see it coming, right? It's like, OK, what they did with Gaza was was kind of the, the first, you know, frontline volley. Right, and they're never. And I talked about this yesterday. They're not going to go back. They're not going to rebuild anything. the 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 services will not be available. The power will be down. Uh, the, there will be no rush by the international community to rebuild and help these people. And now uh, Netanyahu has said that he wants to resettle the Palestinians to Africa. Like, I think he wants to send them to Somalia. Could you imagine your Palestinian family and he 
fucking sends you to sub-Saharan Africa where people have been absolutely brutalized and traumatized for the last 30 years and you're going to be and you're going to find refuge there good luck so they've accomplished what they wanted to accomplish with Gaza with very little interference and like I said yesterday even though um there has been some very harsh criticism level at Israel. They don't care. They don't care at all. And there, there's a reason why they don't care. And a lot of it is tied to Epstein, by the way, and other operations. So I ran across some really interesting stuff, which ties... Um, the Clintons and the Clinton administration uh, to the Mossad. So I can find this thing. I think it's part of this thread. Um, damn it. Let me go back. All right, it's part of this thread that I found this other post on. And so, this one, oh, by the way, there's a shooting happening. Perry High School in Iowa. I don't have time to go right after it and track it down. I'm 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 tired of fucking school shootings. Not not in the way that other people are. But I was uh I'm I'm tired of like breaking them down because in most cases we know what happens. All right, let me let me play you this. Let me play you this. This is this is really interesting. This is from CBS News, uh, and I believe it's from October of this year. And I'm going to play this out. This is an 11 minute news piece. I'm very surprised that CBS aired this. And it has to do with Israel and pedophiles and how pedophiles escaped to Israel. I'm going to play this for you. Because it does tie in with Epstein. <laughs> excuse me. And some of the hardcore pedophilia that I think was happening on the island. All right, let's uh, check this out. A CBS News investigation has uncovered...
A loophole that allows accused and convicted American pedophiles to escape justice by moving to Israel. So Ian Lee has been following this for more than a year and he traveled to Israel for this investigation. He worked with a group that tracks people accused of sex crimes, which estimates dozens of Americans have used this loophole. So, you know, he's six foot two. We are on a stakeout looking for this man, Jimmy Julius Caro. 48 years old and wanted on charges of sexually assaulting a nine-year-old girl in Oregon back in two. He looks like a fucking pedophile, doesn't he? We, I mean, look, I'm sorry. You know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but that's a bad book. That is a that is a creepy looking motherfucker. All right, let's keep let's keep going. 2000 and a five-year-old girl. Oh, he's matured well, hasn't he? In 2001. He's considered dangerous. But these photos are a few years old, so we don't know if he'll look the same. He remains elusive. Previous attempts to capture him have failed. Um, obviously, the fear that he would somehow figure out that anyone's looking for him and bolt. He just called his number. Shauna Aronson got a tip that Caro's expected at this clinic near Tel Aviv. Who's going to call? She's with JCW, Jewish Community Watch an organization that hunts down accused pedophiles who flee to Israel from the U.S., exploiting a process called Law of Return, whereby any Jewish person can move to Israel and automatically gain citizenship. The ease with which pedophiles seem able to use this law as an escape route haunts victims like Mendy Hawk, who says he was abused from age eight by a teacher at an Orthodox Jewish school in Los Angeles. So your classroom is right here. How does it feel being back? Um, I was very anxious and, you know, stressed coming back here. A lot of memories coming through my mind. Memories of his alleged abuser, Mordechai Yomtov, who taught him Hebrew studies when he was just eight years old. So in the beginning, he would just rub me, like, outside of my pants. And then I would say uh, about three or four months later, he started going, like, in. Reaching down your pants? Yeah, it's huh? reaching down. Why did you feel like you couldn't tell anyone? Um, I was scared. I was ashamed. I mean, I just didn't know what people would think of me with the whole situation. Yomtov pled guilty in 2002 to sexually abusing and committing lewd acts against three other boys. He served jail time, but when he was released, he violated his probation and, according to JCW, fled to Israel with help from individuals within the Orthodox Jewish community. JCW tracked Yomtov down and confronted him with a hidden camera in Jerusalem, where he admitted to illegally fleeing the United States with help and using a fake passport to enter Israel. I was supposed to stay for five years in the same city. I was supposed to, uh, let's see, trying to be on the side of I was supposed to go to the police station. Didn't want to I left within a week later. He had this message for his victims. I'm very, 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 very sorry. The other person in this video is Mayor Seewald, the founder of Jewish Community Watch. He tells CBS News Yomtov's case isn't uncommon in the Orthodox community. The same thing that's going on in the Catholic Church right now around the world, the exact same thing happens in our community. The rabbis say it's, uh, you know what, he promised he's going to go for therapy, he's never going to do it again. Boom, he's in another community. A few years later, he's at the same thing, and we hear more allegations that the person continued to abuse children. And often, those abusers end up in Israel. Rabbi Yehuda Oppenheimer says he unwittingly helped Cairo escape. There was nothing that raised any red flags up to the point where he was moving to Israel. Well, I wish I could say that, but unfortunately I can't say that. So he had violated his parole and 
and now they were looking for him. He said that there was something in the past that had happened when he was young, but uh, nothing had ever happened since. I've changed and I'm a different person now, and, but you gotta help me. I felt that I could trust him. So I wrote him a letter and uh, he bought a ticket and uh, he left. Cairo is accused of abusing more children when he got to Israel. What was that like for you when you found that out? I was, I was punched to the gut. It was, it, was, it was very painful. Rabbi Oppenheimer says the reason he came forward is to shine a light on the process of accused pedophiles fleeing, to help ensure it doesn't happen again. Back at the stakeout, an ambulance pulls up and a man steps out. It's Cairo. That was definitely, definitely him. Oh my God, okay. The police are called and eventually arrive. His days on the run are over as he's led away. Did you assault the girl in the United States? No. Did you flee Israel because you assaulted the girl in the United no. States? Have you ever assaulted any girls in Israel? Do you know that you're wanted by Interpol? Yeah. There's relief as police escort him to their car. This marks the end to a months-long manhunt. Oh my gosh! I Can I give you a hug? <laughs> I have something I need to tell you. Yeah. Okay. We found him, and he was just arrested. What? What? He was just arrested. Wow. Oh my gosh. Amuna, not her real name, is the person on the other end of the line. She was a little girl when Caro entered her life. I was five year, four or five years old. Uh, my mother was on bed rest. My father's a rabbi, so he wasn't really home. Uh, he used to come to our house. We used to play games, and then it became sexual. I'm going to give you a cookie because you do it so nicely. It's all about the cookie. It's all about lying, and it's all about being so evil to a little child. He also threatened me he would kill my parents. He would choke me. He would hold me. He would kidnap me. How did that affect you? A lot. <laughs> yeah. It affected my whole life. My whole life is around this sexual abuse and rape. Yeah. Amuna turned to therapy yeah. and art to help deal with the trauma. This is in my bedroom and my inspiration. She paints and writes poetry, but she's still angry that it was allowed to happen in the first place. What are your thoughts on him? being able to come to Israel and flee the United States. It brings up a lot of anger and a lot of frustration towards the Israeli system. Shauna says the failure begins in the U.S. Why would someone want to help one of these pedophiles escape? Oftentimes there's some sort of community incentive. Either, either somebody owes them a favor or someone in the community, let's say an institution, has covered up for them in the past and they know that if this goes to court, there's a lot of civil liability coming down the line, you know, and, and it's going to cost a lot of money to a lot of people, and there's, nobody wants to deal with that. Shauna accuses the Israeli police of not prioritizing accused pedophiles on the run. Why do you have to be the ones that do this? Because nobody else is. That's really, I don't have any better answer than that. And if you guys weren't doing it? Then nobody would do it. Israeli police told CBS News that, quote, the police coordinate closely with the Ministry of Justice and worldwide police organizations in order to find suspects overseas. Today, Caro faces charges in Israel. While back in the United States, the district attorney's office in Clackamas County in Oregon told CBS News 
they are working with federal authorities to secure his extradition. But Mordechai Yomtov remains at large. The district attorney here in Los Angeles told us they have not requested Yomtov's extradition and that they had no other comment. Jewish Community Watch says that is the problem. If American officials don't try to get accused pedophiles from Israel, then they simply escape justice and leave children at risk. The U.S. Department of Justice declined to comment on specific cases, but praised their relationship with Israel's law enforcement, adding sex offenders have been successfully extradited in the past. Days after Cairo's arrest, Amuna confronted him at an Israeli police station. It was good. It was good to confront him. It was important for me to have that closure in my life. The healing process will continue for Amuna, but for many, like Mendy, the lack of justice means the pain continues. So there are two things JCW says could help close this pathway. First, better background checks on people moving to Israel. And second, more willingness from U.S. authorities to pursue the accused. So it certainly seems like law enforcement, both here and in Israel, are sort of busy patting themselves on the back on how well they cooperate with one another. But Jewish Community Watch seems to be doing most of that grunt work, that on-the-ground investigating. Why do they say, the group, why do they say more pedophiles aren't being apprehended? So it's, it's very complicated uh, when you leave the United States and go to Israel. First, they say that once these people uh, are wanted, that they need to go to Interpol and have that international arrest warrant put out for them so that the Israeli authorities can then start looking for them. Extradition is expensive, and a lot of these jurisdictions just don't have the money or manpower to really pursue them. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to the Israeli side, uh, JCW says that they need to be doing more background checks on these people. Sometimes a simple Google search will bring up, especially if it's an Interpol arrest warrant right. will bring that up and so that they can then know this person is dangerous they should not be let in yeah. or if there is an arrest warrant out for them that they need to go and pick them up and JCW says that there just isn't the priority to go and pick these people up that they that the police don't uh, don't have the resources there to go and look for these people as well mm -hmm. so it really does fall on JCW to track them from the United States to Israel. That's unbelievable. Um, does JCW also sort of believe that aside from law enforcement there are sort of other elements of the community that need to work on this? Yeah, and, and that's another big part of this is that a lot of the times these people have help. Mm -hmm. Help within the community, uh, people that help them flee to Israel. Sometimes, as uh, we saw with uh, Yom Tov, he, uh, he had help, according to JCW, to flee the country through Mexico yeah. and then get a passport. Uh, an, a fake passport there to immigrate to Israel. So they These say. These are elaborate schemes. They, they are, and, and they need a lot of people to pull off. Uh -huh. And they say that there needs to be a conversation within the community about not protecting people. And, and that's where it's so important uh, to have Rabbi Oppenheimer, you know, come forward and talk about yeah. this and say, you know, this is something that is happening uh, and we need to address this. And, you know, and he said, we, you know, the one important thing is if someone comes to you, don't be so Trusting, mm. you know, look into their background, especially if there's someone who wants to immigrate very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, take some time to make sure this isn't a person who's trying to flee justice. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the problem here is the right of return. This is this is why they're able to do what they're doing and to be enabled every step of the way. It's because of the right of return. And if they were to alter the right of return, it would completely alter the codec for Israel to exist.
in the way that it does, right? This idea that um, it, it is the chosen land in the holy land in the in the um, the home of every single Jewish person on the planet, should they choose to make Aliyah and then move to Israel, um, it's there and available for them. So if you alter the conditions for the right of return, and this is really what it's about, then you fundamentally alter the matrix of Israel itself. You take away its chosen status, right? So, and that's not going to happen. So they'll take anybody, right? They'll, they'll take somebody who has a deeply checkered past because it is their, their theoretical, theological birthright to return to that place. No matter what may be lingering in the background, it was weird when that rabbi, when he asked me that question. Now, I'm not saying that the rabbi was in on it, right? But he was kind of smirking, you know? And, and it was like, well, it felt like a, a punch to the gut. He is beholden to Israeli law to uphold that, right? To, and look the other way because they they based on that law they cannot discriminate now maybe somebody who is just you know incredibly egregious might who might have some kind of um, record publicly that was so uh, so public in in our in your face that they may have to say, well, we need to review this, and and, and this may take longer um, than a normal, uh, you know, right of return case. Maybe that might come up. By and large, it, it can't. So they have to accept these people, and they may even do it like they may even do it knowingly, like the the one guy who was you know parading around as a rabbi in Israel, right? Like there's probably a pretty good chance that whoever got him there knew what his past was. But they have to do it. You know, in the comments of that Twitter feed, um somebody made this this connection that in the Talmud, uh pedophilia is not against the will or law of God. I know a few things about the Talmud, but I'm not an expert. So I, I can't comment directly on that, right? But if that is true, and the, the Talmudic texts are as uh, universally accepted as the Torah, then that is going to also inform the decision-making process on the other end. But it's really pretty fundamental and simple right? They can't say no. Because if they say no, then it alters this idea that it's the chosen place and that the right of return is not a ubiquitous right. 
it fundamentally changes the nature and the state of Israel, both as a religious and a political entity. So they have to allow it. They have to. Now, what's interesting is that what happens when they get there, right? Like the police clearly don't give a shit because you have this, um, this this watch group, this public watch group. It's to me, it's really it, it's almost reminiscent of tracking down Germans who were involved in. Uh, you know, the Second World War or, you know, one of the camps. Like, that's what it feels like. Like, these are the new Nazi hunters. You know, that they're, they're, they're tracking down these, these uh, reprobates. And the sad thing about sexual abuse is that in many cases, it's just a perpetuation, a generational perpetuation of abuse, which... You sat down with you know a couple of those ogres that you saw during that that clip. They were probably abused themselves. I guarantee you, the guy with the sling—he looked so fucking pathetic, didn't he? I mean, this is what happens when you when you live that life. The other guy, on the other hand, he didn't look so pathetic. Like he was doing just fine. Like he had a gig, right? And who knows what he was doing there, really. Oh yeah, I, I hung that up. But this is, you know, this is what they were talking about. Oh, I do, I did, you know, I did therapy, and I'm, I'm better now. And clearly, that's, that's not the case. But that other guy, you could just tell that the ravages of his uh, aberrant behavior were taking a toll on him. He looked fucking pathetic. And that's, you know, this is what happens. But then you have to ask yourself, well, how did that guy make the living over there? How did he survive? I know it's, these are answers I don't have any questions I don't have any answers to. But I showed you that in uh, to make a larger connection to the the Epstein operation. And whenever you get into situations where people are compromised and this is clearly what was going on uh with epstein um there are going to be agencies that are going to profit off the compromise and in this case i would say that you know we're dealing with the Mossad, right and to a lesser extent the cia and there are some people who feel like there's very little distinction between the Mossad and the CIA, that they're really one group or, or one international organization that kind of work hand in glove with, with one another. And they love shit like that, right? They, they love to have material, compromising material on people because it allows them to, you know, move the needle, achieve goals, move, po you know, push policy through. And, and both groups are, are unfortunately culpable when it comes to stuff like that. I wish I could find this one link. I, I just had it up here. And it, and it had to do with Jeffrey Epstein and the Clinton Foundation. And I think that that's come out of this, that, that um, 
he was in uh, he had some role inside of the Clinton Foundation that was more than just uh, I'll throw you a few bones. Like there, there, there was a higher administrative role that Jeffrey Epstein was playing inside the Clinton administration, and they were able to track that actually back to the Mossad, that the Mossad were like embedded inside of the Clinton Foundation. Like this is crazy stuff, right? I mean, this would be the type of material that if the we had a real press in re I'm really surprised CBS did that um did that piece to be you know really honest like that usually that stuff doesn't make the light of day. Um, but if we had a real press, which would press the issue and really went down this rabbit hole with uh, Epstein and Maxwell and all the exploitation, the extortion, um, the larceny, and linking it back to uh, the Mossad, which would ultimately link it back. I mean, look, Ehud Barak was on the fucking Epstein West, right? This is the guy at one point that was running Israel. I mean, he was there. He was hanging out. He, he went to the, you know, Les Wexner's place almost on a daily basis, right? So it's not that far afield from what we're talking about. You know, Ghislaine Maxwell's father was a triple agent. Most of the time, he was uh, working for the Mossad. He was a publisher, right? Um, so when we're talking about six degrees of separation, we're about one to two degrees away. Now, if you wanted to put the brakes on whatever Israel was doing with, say, Gaza or their their wanton like destruction and war path right now, this is where you'd go. You would go into that. You would go into that operation. But because so many people are compromised, this is the it will it would take somebody with immense courage. And somebody who would be willing to risk their um, their reputation, which would mean somebody that would be involved, right? Somebody who was involved would have to come forward and say, look, I was there, I did these things, and I was forced to vote this way, or I was forced to um, look the other way when something that I knew shouldn't be happening was happening and i had to remain silent that was part of my deal right that that this is what it would take for somebody to break away from the pack and to to own up right and start laying it out if that happened then this would turn into something very interesting because it, it, it and you know then you would get accusations of well, they're just trying to cover their ass and they're making things up. You'll you'll see this already. Like with some of the lists, they'll say, well, this is fake. This is all fake. And, you know, this person was never... So now we're getting into the so-called validity of the lists themselves, right? And, you know, we should always be asking questions, you know, whether or not we can trust certain sources, but that's what would happen with somebody if they decided to come forward. Oh, they're just covering their ass. You know, they're will they, you know, they're just making all this up because you know they've been caught. 
No, not really. And then what would happen if you had another person come forward and another person come forward? I mean, that's really what it's going to take. It, and I don't think it's going to be, you know, the equivalent of James O'Keefe um, kind of getting in there and kind of uncovering these things, which theoretically that's how really good journalism would work. It would It would take people from the inside who would have a great deal to lose um, in order to come forward so that ultimately they could live with themselves. They could live with their conscience. They could, you know, live with their choices or their lack of choices. And then it would get interesting, right? Then it would get, then it would get interesting, but there's so much um, influence and power that um, Israel holds and, you know, right now, this is not a popular, uh, I mean, it's in the air, but it's not a popular discussion to be had, right? It's 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 not. I mean, it, it could be, you know, it could get certain people kind of hung up on a wire, but they have a lot of power. And the, and the, the only thing you need to know is to see what's happening in how there's very little pushback on an international level. There may be a lot of hand-wringing. There may be a lot of people who are protesting, right? Hasn't stopped one thing. That's how much power this small place, you know, in, in, in basically, a, a, you know, a desert community Right? How much power do they have? How do you how do you get that much power? You accrue that power through the accumulation of information. Information is power, and they and the Israelis have spent a lot of time and effort accruing information. And this is something that I've I've talked about before. Now, that's not to say that the United States doesn't accrue information as well. Of course, they do. It doesn't mean that other countries don't accrue information as well. Of course they do. Sometimes they share it, right? You've got MI6 in England, one of the oldest um, intelligence gathering agencies on the planet, you know, really stretching back to Queen Elizabeth I. I mean, that's the roots of it all. You know, with John D., who's considered the original uh, agent 007, right? And acquiring all this intel. So it goes back a long ways. So it's not just one country that gathers all this information. Clearly, that's not the case. But that said, it is a country that is incredibly small, and yet through its um, aggregation of information, that aggregation of information has uh, aided its GDP and the accumulation of wealth and resources. That cannot be denied. I mean, even from a fundamental level, and I've talked about this before, with a company like uh, Verant, right? Verant, I don't know if they still do, but Verant, for a very long period of time, was the, uh, was the spine of the NSA, Right, so everything that the NSA was doing, in terms of uh, communications, uh, intel, all that stuff, right, 
all the information, just, just you know, thousands and thousands of, of bytes of information, you know, you know, by by the minute flowing into fusion centers across this country have to go through a pipeline. And that pipeline was created by Varen, company in Israel, right? They're getting a lot of money to do that. That's a huge contract. And I guarantee you that that information is not being hermetically sealed, right? Because they're running the pipeline. They're also being part of the information and intelligence gathering. You're, you're right in the heart of the beast with the NSA. You're probably picking up on this right now, right? So that's just one example. You look at um, Project 8200, which is part of the IDF. You know, they, 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 took, they take out all the kind of the, 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 the brainiest and nerdiest people from the IDF, and they, they put them through this cyber training program. And it's, it's this elite cyber training group, right? And then what they do, this is all Paul Singer. Paul Singer is, you know, and I've talked about this before, this is one of his pet projects, is that they'll train these guys up and they'll, they'll have mastery over, you know, all these different systems. And then they'll get them jobs inside of American companies. Like they'll get uh, CTO positions in, inside of like AT&T or something like that, right? Like, well, gee, what are they going to do there? You know, who 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 are they going to be beholden to? The shareholders or people like Paul Singer in Project 8200 to help place them in those positions, right? And then you look at somebody, and there are companies from the United States who are either relocating or opening major offices in Tel Aviv, Google being one of them, right? Google has a big operation in Tel Aviv. So I'm sharing this with you because I'm trying to give you an understanding about how a country, and, you, and Netanyahu's even talked about this. He's done speeches on this. He's boasted about this, about how a country so small like Israel can have so much economic weight and economic clout. And he clearly has linked it to information, data, intelligence, and technology. And yeah, sure, they're, they're theoretical you know, leaders in that world, but when you're in that world, you have access to gobs of information, right? It's, it's, it's like a treasure trove of information. And then you're able to just go in and figure out like what's going to be useful. And by the way, I'm going to be fair about this. They're not the only country that would do that, right? Clearly, China would do it. This country would do it. The Russians would do it. They would all do it. But a lot of these countries have other resources. Russia has got a shit ton of gas and oil. If they can master their agricultural processes, they have the ability to create huge amounts of 
wheat and grain and, you know, not only feed Russia, but, you know, a large part of Europe as well. Um, you, you know, other, you know, the United States has other resources, right? Israel's resources are limited. Their, their resource, their main resource is intelligence and information. Yeah, they may have some oil and some stuff with, you know, genie, you know, genie petroleum or whatever, right? But that's not the main driver. They may have, you know, a nice little company like SodaStream, which comes from Israel, but that's not going to be a big economic driver. Olives, olive oil, well, they got to get the olives from somewhere, right? That's a different story. But again, that's not going to be an economic driver. Tourism, maybe. A lot of people like to go to Jerusalem, go experience the Holy Land. Um, you know, Tel Aviv is one of the most gay cities on the planet. So, you know, they, maybe they have some, you know, some sexual tourism that goes on in Tel Aviv. And they've got a big love parade there, right? So that, that could be an economic driver. I'm just giving you some examples. But the real economic driver is going to be intelligence and information. And um, it's part of Epstein. It's always been a part of Epstein. And that was uh, because, again, when you have intelligence and information, you have leverage, right? You have, you have leverage. You know, let's say there's a lawmaker that, uh, you, you know, has been part of this. Throw out a name, Lindsey Graham. He's yours. You own that person. You own them. You can reward them every now and then for owning them, but you own them, right? Leverage. Information, intel is all about leverage. Um, I'm going to change the conversation a little bit, but it's still kind of related. I'm not going to go till 1041. I'll probably go for about another 10 more minutes because I'm still kind of catching up on things around here. And I guess what I'm meeting, I'm meeting with my, my web guide to recreate 15 minutes of flame. Can't wait. It's going to be great. We have our old little clubhouse again. Um, and then we'll, we'll branch off and have some other, other channels that we'll be streaming on. Uh, we need to talk about King Charles because it feels to me like the transition to William's about to happen. And there are, there's, there's so, clearly Prince Andrew has always been a part of this thing. Right. And he's, it, 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 I always find it really funny that the Royal family will, will feign some kind of, um, sense of, of of morality around the whole thing with Prince Andrew, right? Like the royal family has always been very suspect. I mean, if you want to get into the like the high strange, right? Like there was this one story, I think it came through David Icke, or it was right around that time that David Icke was getting popular. And the royal family was in uh, Mexico. And they were at some kind of a resort in Mexico. And there was a maid that walked in on them and they were they were devouring a baby, 
right? Like that story was was like running around the internet, I think sometime in the 2010s. And that's, you know, that's when this whole idea that the, that, that the royals were reptilians and that they would shapeshift and, you know, they would, they would, they would feast on, on uh, human organs, mo- most, mostly the, uh, the glands of humans, right? Because that's where all the, the juice was. Um, so that's the extreme version of the, the, the sort of the, the dark side of the royal family. Uh, but they've always, you know, they've always had like the cloud of darkness around them. I mean, look at Prince Charles and Diana and Camilla and that whole fucking weird scene, right? So there's always been this. I mean, and even um, you know the Queen's husband, the guy looked like a fucking ghoul, you know. So there's 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 always been this dark side to the royals, right? So Prince Andrew showing up on a fucking list is really a big nothing burger. The only thing that they don't like about it is that it's public. Like, they don't give a shit whether or not he's, you know, banging some 13-year-old. What they care about is getting caught and having their, quote-unquote, name and reputation being besmirched in the public. That said, there is some chatter now that Charles's name has shown up on the list. I don't know if that's true or not, but there's some chatter around it. And all of a sudden now, Prince Charles isn't doing so well, right? He's not, his his health is starting to, uh, you know, waver a little bit. I think they're getting ready to install William. And we knew that it would not be a, a very long period of time for Charles to reign as king, because that is not the prophecy. The prophecy is William, right? It's always been about William. Charles is just a placeholder. He's a koozie. That's what he is. He's a koozie. On the side, you know, Prince William is 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 the hot drink. Charles is just the koozie that's keeping you from burning your fucking fingers, right? That's all he is. And I would. I would guess, because they do these things in a ritual fashion, I would guess that uh, William would be coronated as king um, either around the uh, equinox, which would be in alignment with the eclipse, by the way, or the solstice, which would be on his birthday. I'm guessing it would be the solstice. Because, of course, he was... I think she had a cesarean to have him on the solstice. Right? So, how old is he going to be? Let's see. All right, he's uh, for, so he'll be forty-two. He'll be forty-two uh, let's see, he'll be forty-two in June. Forty-two in June. Interesting number forty-two. Like level forty-two. And June 21st, 
Let's see if there's any news on them. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Look at what's coming up right here. Now, of course, Prince Charles is denying this, but it, look, it's in the air. King Charles may give up crown early to Prince William. Kate, after Danish Queen Margaret's abrupt abdication, she's stepping down as Queen of Denmark. I leave the throne to my son, Crown Prince Frederick. Go, Frederick. Let's see what he looks like. King nerd. Europeans always crack me up with all this shit. Like, what the fuck did this guy ever do to get? I mean, look at the elephant. Like, what's that all about? And Europeans are really big on this. They like to wear the, their medallions and all that. Uh, Denmark's crown prince support Queen's decision to strip grandchildren's titles. Wow, the crown prince of Denmark and heir to the throne, Prince Frederick, has thrown his support behind his mother, Queen Margaret's decision to strip four of her eight grandchildren of their royal titles. He's Kronos. He doesn't want his kids to take the throne. Or, who, or his brother's kids or whomever. I myself am interested in the Danish monarchy staying lean over time. So therefore, support my mother's decision, which she has chosen to make. The children of the queen's second son. No. Oh, a little court intrigue here. Prince Joachim. Nikolai 23, Felix 20, Henrik 13, and Athena 10 will be referred to as either His Excellency Count of Montpezat or Her Excellency Countess of Montpezat starting on January 1st, 2023. So I guess this is the younger brother is getting screwed. Members of the royal family, including the grandchildren, claim they were blindsided by the bombshell decision. Joachim's son, Nikolai, who was seventh in line to the Danish throne, said he was shocked to hear the news. They're basically being disinherited. Prince Frederick insisted he's been in continuous contact with his brother. Oh, this is some court fucking intrigue right here. I am in continuous contact with my brother. I always have been, funnily enough, so there is nothing new in whether I've been in contact with him. I am in continuous contact. So, yeah, he's in contact with him, but that doesn't mean he's sharing pertinent information. This is how people fucking lie, right? This is what I was talking about today on Astral Weather with that, that square with Mercury and Neptune. Hey, I'm in constant contact with him. And we just talk about soccer. We don't really talk about the fact that I'm about to kick his ass out. <laughs> right? This, this is what he's saying. Frederick told the outlet after his brother so early this month, it's never fun to see your children being mistreated like that. Queen Margaret II, 82. So removing her grandchildren's prince and princess's title will enable them to shape their own lives instead of being limited. Oh, she's got her favorite. With her decision, Her Majesty the Queen wishes to create the framework 
for the four grandchildren to be able to shape their own lives to a much greater extent without being limited by the special considerations and duties that a formal affiliation with the Royal House of Denmark as an institution involves. So she's turning them into the plebes. No changes were made to the title of Prince Frederick, the heir to the throne, as well as his wife, Princess Mary, and their children, Prince Christian, 16, Princess Isabella, 15, and 11-year-old twins, Prince Vincent and Princess Josephine. Eh, they're intact. Right? But this has stirred up conversation around... Um, around this dude, right? Oh, here we go. Our late queen would never abdicate because of what happened in 1936 when her uncle abdicated and her father came to the throne. But times change. Here she is. Queen Margareth. They always like their little fucking medallions. Um, this is not the only article suggesting that he is going to step down. Yeah, little badges and shit. The Americans don't have any equivalent to that. They're into these weird little signatories that they're special. Uh, let's see. Here, Frederick 55 was speculated to have been unfaithful to the Australian-born uh, marketing consultant 51 with socialite Genevieve Casanova after photos emerged them together during a trip to Madrid. However, the Mexican native 47 denied any affair had taken place. I guess that's... Uh, so, why did she... This is Mary Poe... So this is uh, the wife of Frederick. So even though he fucks around, he gets to retain his crown. And so he had an affair with her. So that's the princess. Where's the affair? She's an attractive woman. Well-bred. Good lines, good royal bloodlines. He's bored as fuck. Look at those ears. He's elfish. All right, let's get back to this. Uh, here we go. This is one day ago from Newsweek. King Charles faces calls to hand, crowned Prince William. It's not if, but when. Oh, Epstein's visits to Mar-a-Lago detailed. That'll come out. King Charles III has faced calls to one day abdicate and pass the throne to Prince William less than a year after his historic coronation. The monarch, 75, endured years of speculation. The crown would skip him in favor of his more popular son during the later years of Queen Elizabeth II's reign, 16 months after becoming king. The abdication of Queen Margaret II of Denmark has prompted British news outlets to discuss whether he will step down, paving the way for King William and Queen Catherine. So it's already in the air. He looks like shit. Look at him. Kids. 
case for British abdication. They keep citing this Crown Prince Frederick thing. Charles took on the job for the first time at 74, eight years older than Britain's official state pension at 66. Prince William is currently 41, meaning that if Charles were to serve 20 years as sovereign until the age of 94, then he would be in his 60s by the time he wore the crown. That ain't happening. That ain't happening. Now, Charles is a Scorpio. We know that. So I don't think he, uh, just astrologically, would want to let go of the position. But I'm on the record that on the equinox or the, the summer solstice, it will either be the crowning of Prince William as King William or it will clearly be on its way. And I'm going to go for a crown. I'm going for a crown for the May King, right? Even though it's not May. It's the Midsummer Night's, Midsummer Night's Dream, right? The most theoretical, powerful, and supernatural night of the year, even more powerful, more supernatural than Halloween. That's in the background right now, right? That's part of the chatter. And then what happens with William becoming the king of England? Do you think he's just going to be a figurehead? I don't think so. The prophecy is, is that he raises a standing army and that the European Union has an army and that, he's, that he is the commander-in-chief of the army of the European Union. That'll be interesting. We live in the days and times of prophecy. They're with us. Isn't that right, Jasper? Jasper the cat prophet. All right, I'm out of here. Thank you for being here, as always. Uh, tomorrow over on YouTube, we will have Mr. Russ Winter, and we will be catching up. There was, there was a shooting in Prague, not far from where Russ lives, I, I think. We'll talk about that. Um. I think. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about like the next level, the next phase of the war uh, in the Middle East, because it's going to happen. It is going to happen. So we'll get into that. I think that the Yemenis and the Houthis are the wild card in all of this. Because I don't think that the Israelis want to tangle with them. I talked about this yesterday. And the Americans don't, because there's a script, and the Yemenis are off script, the Houthis are off script, and the Americans don't want to get involved with anything that is off script. So they're the wild card in, the, in the, all of this, this evolving or de-evolving morass. Okay, um, we'll see you tomorrow over on, I guess we'll do some Astro Weather tomorrow. Hopefully, I have an errand to run in the morning. But uh, we should be able to do some astral weather. And then roll into Russ. And then Saturday, we have uh, the webinar for the year to come, 2024, for all you members. Uh, be there or um, not. All right, take good care. Use your head in order to discern what's real. Your heart two-step what's possible. Love you all. Bye for now. 
God bless.